Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode number 168 of the Necessary Roughness podcast, presented by Last Word on Sports. I'm your host, Nicholas Donatic. Episode 168 doesn't have that ring to it. It is our official 2023-2024 season NFL Week 1 preview. We made it. Football has returned this Sunday. It will be gracing your screens if you're a Sunday ticket enjoyer, if you're a red zone enjoyer like myself, if you're somebody that just sits down, watches your favorite team, and then has other things to do. If you work weekends or something like that, you know what? We're all going to be enjoying some gridiron action this weekend, and we got a taste of it just yesterday. We're recording this Friday evening. Thursday night, we got Lions versus Chiefs. It was quite the game, and it's going to be the leadoff of our first edition of the Standout 7 for the regular season. So, uh, as you all may know, quite a few people went with the Kansas City Chiefs, including yours truly. Then, since we picked the game this past weekend as our show airs Friday slash Saturday evenings to get everyone ready, informed, entertained when we can, we try too often, but you never hit the mark all the time. Um, we obviously didn't have the information. By we, I mean me. I didn't have the information that Travis Kelsey would be a scratch for this game. Um, and I don't think anyone had the information that Kadarius Tony would leave his hands at home. Um, not that I expected Kadarius Tony to be a major impact player, but three drops? Three drops? One yard? Clearly, Patrick Mahomes trusts you. He went to you. Now, one of them was the weird play where it was a crossing route kind of clash between... it was The throw was behind Richie James and also at the same time simultaneously behind Kadarius Toney because he wasn't looking for the ball because of the little mesh point thing. But neither here nor there. Um, the Chiefs' offense looked rather pedestrian. The Detroit Lions' offense really didn't look insane either against the Chiefs defense that's not a world beater without especially Chris Jones on that defensive line. Um, credit where credit's due, though. Dan Campbell masterclass, if you will, right? Is that what we're doing? We'll go blow by blow here. The biggest thing, obviously, first quarter, sending the message that Detroit is not just going to leave behind their gunslinger, for the lack of a better phrasing, I guess, uh, way of treating some of these things. They are ready and willing to take chances at any and all times. And, you know, they made a big deal about bringing back their offensive coordinator. He didn't go out and get a head coaching job, which, good for them that he's coming back. Good for the team that he's dedicated and sticking around, and they're trying to build something out there in Detroit, which, you know, hasn't been done in a little bit. It was The Lions were okay in the the Stafford-Calvin Johnson days, and they had the playoff loss to, I believe it was Dallas, which was a little fugazi, but never got to the mountaintop, and now they're trying to build it. So what do they do? They run a fake punt in the first quarter and barely get it inside their own 25. And what happens after that, of course? They march down the field and score a touchdown. Kansas City promptly march down the field and tie the game up. This is something... You know, they were talking going into the game about maybe some ground control aspects coming out of the Detroit Lions, whether it be with Jameer Gibbs or David Montgomery. I was a little surprised Gibbs didn't get as many touches, but it is early season. Rookie running back, work him into the offense. I get it. And Montgomery had a decent game, I will admit. He was 
21 touches for 74 yards. That's pretty darn good. Three and a half a carry, a touchdown. Can't ask for too, too much more. Um, either way, you know, Detroit's defense certainly looked better, I would say, than Kansas City. Granted, Kansas City forced the fumble in the red zone. Big play there. Made a stop around midfield, which was huge as well. Not trying to, you know, knock down Kansas City's defense. But Detroit, as like I said, you look at those opportunities they had. The fumble in the red zone to Marvin Jones. The fourth down play, and then somehow they wind up getting the ball back after Mahomes can't move the ball because Tony can't catch. Um, yeah. Add on top of the fact that Detroit had an opportunity to have Kansas City fourth and short prior to halftime. They take the penalty, which is probably the wise call. Big Red was going to go for it. And then, of course, Patrick Mahomes converts third and 17 with a strike to Valdez Scantling, who, you know, he had two catches. I mean, nobody expected him to come in here and be Tyree Kill or come in here and be a number one wideout. But I, I think without Kelsey out there, someone obviously, 2020 hindsight and just Captain Obvious at the same time, somebody had to step up. You got 45 yards out of Justin Watson. He was okay, but none of these guys could step up when it mattered. And I don't know. I've already seen articles, oh, what the Chiefs could do about their receiving core, saying that maybe they'll go trade for Mike Evans or something. It would be blockbuster, but is it necessary? It's a it's a week one panic, right? Like, you don't need to panic after a one-point loss to a team that was almost a playoff team last year. Remember, I mean, they were in it until week 18. Seattle won eliminating them, and then they played spoiler to Green Bay. Like, this team is good. Yeah. Um, another thing to talk about for this game, and we don't need to go super blow-by-blow, because blow, we'll do that for the rest of the Week 1 action. And we've got some other things to touch on here in the Standout 7. But one of the main things, and it wasn't hard to notice, but the broadcast caught on, I think, in the second half. They made a big deal that the Chiefs brought in two new tackles, which, understandable. But their right tackle, Jawan Taylor, was jumping all game. All game! He was early, and they wind up finally getting it called on their final drive, of course, you know, when they needed to not have it called, but benefit of the doubt all game, you could say, right? Jeez. The penalty's catching up to them at the same time that you have a Tony drop, then you have a Sky Moore uh, drop, I believe it was a drop, no, it was holding on the Sky Moore catch, and then another one to Sky Moore, and he dropped it after. But the receiving court did not look great. I baited myself a little bit, I will readily admit. I say it all the time, it's hard to pick against Patrick Mahomes, just like for all those years it was hard to pick against Tom Brady. It's hard to pick against the champs on opening night. Didn't have the courage of my convictions, to use the Stephen A. Smith phrase. And uh, it came back to bite me in this one. Kudos to the Detroit Lions, they look good out there. They look darn good. And I'm going to be keeping a close eye on Minnesota this weekend. Now, that being said... The Vikings have, let's see, Tampa Bay at home, in Minnesota that is. Not going to be a tremendous test, but let's see how they look. Let's see how they look, because that NFC North with Aaron Rodgers, the boogeyman out of that division, is up for grabs. And Minnesota is not exactly the same team as last year. Dalvin Cook is not there. Adam Thielen is not there, among others. Let's see what they can do. 
big win for the Detroit Lions. Do I need to heap it on a little bit more? Um, Lions fans, if you're out there listening, it was impressive. I mean, you know, after the game, there was immediately people saying, well, I mean, they didn't have Travis Kelsey. They didn't have Chris Jones. Yeah, but you can only play the team that's across the field from you. So they still went out there and won 21-20, close game. It's it's planting the stake that, you know what, we're making a playoff push. It wasn't a one-year wonder. We didn't get lucky last year. We're pretty darn good. Number two in the standout seven, let's talk contract shenanigans. Yep, their contract shenanigans pushing all the way up until week one Sunday. The Bosa holdout in Santa Clara, or San Francisco, if you will, has ended five years, $170 million, 122.5, guaranteed. Highest paid defensive player ever. By the way, Chris Jones, as we said, looking for a raise as well holding out for the Kansas City Chiefs, and I'm sure the Kansas City GM is not exactly happy to see another big contract for the agents he's negotiating with to throw in their face. Um, moreover, more contract shenanigans. Joe Burrow, five years, $275 million, the biggest contract, period. Not defense, not offense, period, in NFL history. Good for Joey B. I'm predicting a huge year out of Joe. Well, he's got his money. Let's see if he can do it. More contract shenanigans. I think we missed this one last week because it happened as we did the show. Daniel Jones, the New York Giants, restructuring his deal already. Just signed the deal this offseason. Uh, to give $6.3 million in cap space to the New York Giants, converting $8.42 million from salary to signing bonus. Interesting. Um, there was also some talk of Chandler Jones that they sent a, a wellness search to his house, like local authorities, the team sent to his home. I, I don't know if they were worried about him. He seemed to be perturbed by it, and I can understand that. You'd be a little confused why they're sending people to your home. Hope all is well with him, period, in terms of health and, and wealth and mentally. But his contract negotiations, ongoing, obviously. An odd turn. Um, that's the end of the contract shenanigans. Let's get into number three in the standout seven. Let's talk about this third QB rule. I think I missed this last week. This article is written September 5th, so you know what? Maybe I didn't. Maybe I did. Maybe they missed our show, right? This is per CBS Sports, Garrett Podell, right? If you want to read along at home. So, a team must label an actual quarterback... That, what is that defined as an actual quarterback? I guess someone who's not like the Denver Broncos situation where they were playing a wide receiver at the quarterback position as an emergency. A team must label an actual quarterback as their inactive emergency third QB before a regular season or postseason game. This designation must be spelled out on the game day administration report that is turned in before or at the 90-minute meeting with the following stipulations met. Quote, the emergency third QB must be on the 53-man roster. The player cannot be an elevated practice squad player. Okay. The team starting QB and backup QB must also be on the 53-man roster. Yes, that would make sense. A club must have two bona fide quarterbacks on its 47-48 player game day active list to have an emergency third quarterback. A club cannot designate an emergency third quarterback if it has three or more bona fide quarterbacks on said 47-48 player game day active list. The emergency QB, it continues, 
can only enter into a game if a team's active first two QBs are unable to play because of a disqualification or an injury. Worth noting that disqualification is on here. We saw San Francisco against Philly. It was because of an injury. It was beyond their control. So this means, let's say, some weird situation where a, a quarterback gets into a little bit of a tussle or a scuffle, and let's say the QB gets ejected for unsportsmanlike conduct, that means you can still then get your third quarterback in there if the backup quarterback, let's say, goes out, first play hurts his knee, hurts his ankle, yada, 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 right? Kind of crazy. Kind of crazy that disqualification is allowed. The emergency QB could enter the game if the QB1 is ruled out and the QB2 is being checked for an injury. Either of the first quarterbacks are allowed to re-enter if they are cleared from injury. Teams cannot list players whose official position is not listed as a quarterback. Although, a running back, wide receiver, or tight end could play quarterback if on the active roster. Unless, of course, the emergency third QB is already in the game. Emergency third QB can warm up with the players on the roster. However, they cannot enter a game because of a benching, which would make sense. If there is an equipment problem, the emergency third QB is not allowed to enter the game. In that situation, a team can use another active player or call a timeout. The emergency third QB is not allowed into the game for trick plays or wildcat. When in the game, no other player can take the snap besides the emergency quarterback. This player is allowed to quick kick, but they cannot be used as a punter or kicker on special teams. If a team breaks one of these rules, they will be giving an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty. Now, that paragraph is relatively heavy, right? You are saying that when the third quarterback is in the game, no other player can take the snap besides that player. So essentially, there can't be a direct snap to the running back. There can't be a motion him out wide and do some we weird shenanigans. Let's take, for example, a player like Taysom Hill. Taysom Hill very obviously on an active roster, and a, av you know he's a part of the offense. Let's say Taysom Hill was not as, you know, this was a few years ago, let's say, and he was a third QB, quote-unquote. So he couldn't come in and do some of these other wildcat shenanigans. It's kind of a weird, maybe I'm misunderstanding this, but it's very, very strict, the bylaws or rules that they've drawn out here, which is interesting. I will say this, having a nationally televised playoff game essentially decided by the pure happenstance that the 49ers didn't have a quarterback, like anyone who could play the quarterback position competently at an NFL level. And that's not to say that all backup quarterbacks can do that either, but they can try. We saw Chad Henney lead a long drive in the playoffs, right? We've seen Nick Foles win Super Bowls. We've seen Jeff Hostetler way back when for the Giants win Super Bowls. Quarterback is, I guess, <laughs> Captain Obvious, a nuanced enough position that this rule needs to exist. Can you run out of running backs? Sure. Can you run out of, you know, if there's enough injuries, can you have a weird situation on the O-line and maybe have an extra tight end playing lineman? Sure. Can your kicker get hurt? Yeah, and they'll make the punter kick. But quarterback, I think due in part, if I'm being honest, to the competitiveness of what we saw, San Francisco and Philly, and also the pure optics of it, there are people watching these games. 
They do not want to see a team running the 1950s playbook and or like what we saw with the Denver Broncos a few years ago with a receiver at QB just unable to use that part of the game. That's not something they want, and I understand that from a league perspective. So here we are. Felt the need to talk about it. Hopefully this rule doesn't come into play at all, though considering how recent the Denver Broncos thing was, granted during the COVID season, one of the COVID seasons, whichever one, um, and then we saw the San Francisco Philly thing, I tend to think we may run into this in the next few years. I'm hopeful it's not in a playoff game. I'm hopeful it's a shenanigans, meaningless game between two teams that are out of it, but we'll see what happens. Kudos to the NFL. I'm not trying to make it sound like I'm ripping them for not having a spare special teams player, right, to sub in for the kicker or punter, though I will say that would be a good idea. Having an extra player who could act as the, you know, kicker and or punter because things get weird, and that does happen. You know, not saying kickers and punters are fragile, but we've seen a pulled groin or a, you know, a hurt ankle or a knee, and you kind of need all those things to kick a football. But either way... Kudos to the NFL for trying to prevent another poor product, especially on a big stage like what we saw last postseason. Number four in the standout seven, let's talk about some comments made by DeAndre Hopkins, now of the Tennessee Titans. DeAndre Hopkins on finding a team during free agency via GQ Sports. Detroit Lions, they didn't want me. Dallas Cowboys didn't want me. Giants didn't want me. Bleep. Let's go with poop. Who else ain't want me? San Francisco ain't want me. Now, it's interesting to me. Because I do think DeAndre Hopkins has something left in the tank, right? However, as we pull up the Spot Rack, which is the website I use on this show to get accurate contract information at any and all times, the man signed a two-year $26 million deal. Right? Like, it's it's not... <laughs> it's not nothing. Right? Now, I believe there's deferrals and, and things like that. But, per spot rack, two years, $26 million. That's not veteran minimum. Right? Like, you take a look at the way this is. $10.9 million guaranteed at signing. Signing bonus in 2023 salary. Active bonus for each game he plays. Roster bonus for 24-25. Uh, excuse me, for 24, 25 to 27 are, quote, void in this contractual agreement after he was released by Arizona. I think DeAndre Hopkins is a pretty good player, right? He's aging, sure, but he had 64 catches last year. Three touchdowns on a team that was bad, right? The year before, only played in 10 games. All the years before that, 16, 15, 16, 15, 16, 16, 16, 16. So, perhaps this is a late career sort of injury-prone situation developing. I wouldn't necessarily slap that sticker on him, but if it happens again this year, I certainly would. Let's take a look at a few of those teams. Now, let's start at the bottom. Or rather, let's start at the end of his list here. I saw a graphic on the Pat McAfee show talking about San Francisco and how they have a top five paid running back, a top ten paid receiver, Debo Samuel, a top 10 paid tackle in Trent Williams, the top paid defensive player now in Bosa. Where, and look, the only reason they could do all that and still be competitive is because Brock Purdy's making peanuts, right? 
and the team is good, and they're, they're pretty well coached, I would say, obviously. Where do you think they're going to get the money for that $26 million? They were in the midst of negotiating with Nick Bosa. So if they sign you and they come up $7 million short in that first year on the Bosa contract, they're going to have to backload it and hurt themselves there. And then, oh, by the way, DeAndre, you've missed some games in the last couple years. They can't necessarily rely that you're going to be out there. Not trying to knock him. Like I said, he's a talented player. I don't think it's time to retire or anything like that. Then you add in the fact that I would say they're a run-first team, eh? You look at their receiving core. George Kittle, not what he was a few years ago, but still very talented. Debo Samuel, tremendous. Brandon Ayuk, pretty darn good. Jawan Jennings, pretty good. Like, are you going to be the number three guy in San Francisco? That's what you want to do? Because you're not going to make $13 million to do that. Let's look at some of the other teams. New York Giants just brought in Darren Waller. They were negotiating a contract with their quarterback and running back. Dallas Cowboys. Dallas Cowboys just got rid of Amari Cooper not too long ago to free up money because they believe in CeeDee Lamb, because they believe in Michael Gallup. And oh, by the way, they bring in Brandon Cooks, who has a tremendously different skill set than Hopkins. Hopkins is more of a possession receiver, particularly at this point in his career, I would say. Not to call him slow, but he's got great hands. Brandon Cooks is a deep threat. Like, they're not the same player. It, it doesn't fit. If anything, I would say Dallas needed a tight end more than they need DeAndre Hopkins, especially after losing Dalton Schultz. Detroit Lions. That's an interesting one. You could make the argument Detroit Lions, the Detroit Lions, I should say, could have benefited from the addition of a veteran wideout like himself. Now, that argument comes across a little empty after they beat the Kansas City Chiefs week one, but if you look at their receiver room, Marvin Jones, decent veteran. He never hit the highs that DeAndre Hopkins did, but he's a good player. He's been around, and he could talk to some of these guys, right? Amon Ross St. Brown, tremendous. They've got a room full of tight ends. Who knows who's going to be number one? I think Laporta's a rookie. Khalif Raymond, kind of a slot, speedy guy. Josh Reynolds, if memory serves, the same guy that was on the Rams a couple years ago. Yep, pretty good player. He could have slotted in there. That would have fit. But you remember at the beginning of his free agent saga, if you will, he was discussing the things he wanted in a team. And people were thinking, oh, was he going to wind up in, in like Baltimore or something with, with Odell or before Odell went there? Is he going to clamp on with a team like, I don't know, the Chargers and be a third, fourth weapon in the receiving core? I wouldn't say that that was necessarily a possibility. Is he going to go to a team like Cleveland, right? Would go be with Amari Cooper and, and see what shakes out there with Deshaun Watson? He winds up in Tennessee and... Tennessee hasn't been bad in the last few years, but I, I definitely wouldn't say that they're a tremendous threat to win it all this year. A lot of people, including myself, if you go back through the offseason episodes, thought they were going to make a change at quarterback. Thought that they may trade up or trade out for a new quarterback. And as we stand, Ryan Tannehill is going to be their day one starting QB in a division that is very winnable, but... Tannehill himself has battled some injuries in the past. Not a great situation. I find it weird that this headline would come out now. Obviously, this was posted. GQ article, this was posted by SportsCenter a handful of days ago. 
but very odd. Very odd. Also, like, to be in a situation like that, you're about to start the season. And, like, do you not want to be where you are? Like, you know, you picked your team, right? You could have waited. Beckham did it last year when he was rehabbing from injury. He didn't play. DeAndre wanted to be out there. I respect that. But why? Why are you Why are you thinking of this stuff now? Get the, get the negativity out a little bit, DeAndre. You're a great player. You're a great player. You'll be all right in Tennessee. And if not, let's be honest. You picked Tennessee. What do you want me to say? Number five in the standout seven. Let's talk about Mike Williams. No, not that Mike Williams. Let's talk about Mike Williams, former receiver for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Buffalo Bills, former receiver at Syracuse. There's been some some conflicting headlines coming out about Mike Williams. There was a, a Fox News article quoting a local Buffalo publication, I believe, that said that Mike Williams had passed away this past week, and there were retractions out the wazoo as now it's saying that Mike Williams is fighting for his life. He's in his 30s. There was apparently an accident on a construction site. I'm not exactly sure on the details. Um, However, all but uh, earlier today, Right Within a handful of hours of recording this episode, there's an article here on Yahoo Sports that says that life support machines or procedures were being removed and that he was responsive. So the details per Yahoo Sports' Jason Owens here. Um, admitted into the intensive care unit at St. Joseph's Hospital September 1st. Thursday, he was injured this past Thursday. Uh, Actually, yes, Thursday prior to that, rather. Injured in a construction accident in Hillsborough County, Florida. A steel beam landed on his head. Laceration on his head became infected, and he was placed into an induced coma upon being hospitalized. A report that Williams had passed away circulated widely, but was confirmed by multiple outlets to have been fake. False, rather. Why? Oh, my goodness. Um, as I said, the headline saying he was reportedly responsive, so didn't know where to put this in the show. I don't know if you if you all remember Mike Williams, pretty darn good player, but this isn't like an Adam Schefter talking about Dwayne Haskins situation. Just wanted to use this opportunity to send our regards, our thoughts and prayers to Mike Williams and his family. Um, football player or not, in your 30s, it's it's a brutal accident, and it's it's tragic anyone at that age having to fight through something like this and we hope he pulls through for his family and and for his sake obviously and wow that was kind of out of nowhere it's always out of nowhere it's a a few years ago we saw something similar with Peyton Hillis and it's just one of those things where all of a sudden you see an outpouring of support for people and it's always good don't get me wrong to see an outpouring of support for these athletes celebrities all the things like that but realistically like, you never know when it's your time, folks, and I don't mean to get all deep on you. This is a football show, you know what I mean? We're going to get into the picks in no time, but, you know, appreciate the people around you while you can. That's all I'll say on that, and we're rooting for you, Mike. Hope to see you back out there with your family in no time. Somber way to cap off the standout, well, I guess this would be the standout five this week. The fantastic five, if you will, but there's only one game. Uh, And like I said, that was important to get in there, I think, just because it is just a game at the end of the day. But you know what's not a game? Somebody's life like that. That's what's really important, in my opinion. And you know what? As the editorial lead of this program, 
as the host, 168 episodes running. Let's get that in there, and then let's transition ever so clunkily as we can into some more excitement and talking about the NFL Week 1 schedule. The Fantastic Five is done. doesn't have the ring to it that the Standout 7 does, but we'll make do. And we're going to get into my favorite part, your favorite part of this week's episode for the first time in oh so many months. Let's get into the pick'em portion of this week's episode. Let's get started with an AFC North showdown that I think might be pretty good. Cincinnati Bengals heading to Cleveland to take on the Browns. Bengals listing just one on their injury report. Defensive lineman Joseph Osai is going to miss this one with an ankle injury. The Browns listing just one as well. Former Chiefs safety Juan Thornhill is questionable for this game with a calf injury. Now, you know going into this season, if you listened a few weeks ago, and if not, go back. They aged all right, except for the part where I picked the first game wrong. I have the Bengals having a great year. I have Joe Burrow winning an MVP, but... I also think that the Cleveland Browns could be a sneaky good team this year. I think this might be a little bit of a test. You know, I always make this I always make the argument that it's time for a team to stake their claim or you know, show the world yada yada yada. I think the Browns will put up a fight in this one. I don't think they have enough to beat Cincinnati assuming Burrow is fully healthy, which is what we've heard in terms of his mobility in the pocket considering the Browns defense is pretty good. Um I'm going to take the Bengals in this one, start their run towards that, obviously, Nostradonotic Super Bowl and MVP, but this one could be a sneaky good game. Keeping it in the AFC North, we have the Baltimore Ravens playing host to the Houston Texans. Could be an interesting game, not really. No, I'm just messing around, Texans fans. It's always going to be interesting to see your young QB go out there and try and perform. Uh, the Texans going to be without linebacker Blake Cashman with a hammy injury and safety Jimmy Ward with a hip. Also out for this one, wide receiver John Mechie the third with a hammy as well. Questionable, one of the best names in the league, running back Dare Agumbawale with a hamstring injury. For the Ravens, the home team, they're going to be without corner Marlon Humphrey with a foot. And questionable, another big tight end injury, Mark Andrews with a quad Taking Baltimore in this one, the reason I say it wasn't super interesting is because if, let's say, you're a gambling man or woman or whoever, uh, you, you're really not sweating the money line in this one, you would think. You're you're going to be sweating the spread. You, what do you, do you have Baltimore minus 10.5, minus 13.5. You're giving them a couple, right? This, this should be a Baltimore victory. And considering Cincinnati's got a tough game in week one, Baltimore could try and build that little bit of a lead, try and steal back this division this year. Our next matchup, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, led by new QB Baker Mayfield, head to Minnesota to take on Kirko Cousins, if you've seen those NFL commercials, or is it Cuzzo, one or the other, and the Minnesota Vikings. Buccaneers listing two is questionable this week, one on the D-line, Kalijah Kansi with a calf injury, and on the O-line, Cody Mosh, Mouch, with a back injury. Sorry, Mr. Mouch, where you are, wherever. If you're a fan, you know what? Social media, at Nick Donatic, N-I-K-D-O-N-A-D-I-C. Comment section, if where you're listening has a comment section, let me know. Give me the phonetic. We're good. Vikings, just one listed on their injury report. Outside linebacker Marcus Davenport with an ankle injury. As much as I was talking about maybe baiting myself into thinking the Bucks are going to be good this year, I'll put them in the see-it-before-I-believe-it camp. The Vikings, although they were upset in the playoffs last year, 
won their division, good team. Without Dalvin Cook, let's see what Madison can do in that backfield, but I still got the Vikings winning this one at home. Next, we've got an NFC South matchup that is as old as time. We've got a cat versus a bird. The Panthers head to Atlanta to take on the Atlanta Falcons. Panthers going to be without wide receiver DJ Chark with a hammy and questionable wide receiver Adam Thielen with an ankle injury, which when I was considering picking this game, those are two names I was going to feature and say, oh, you know, well, they've got some skill position talent. Um, <laughs> anyway, the Falcons going to be without corner Jeff Okuda with a foot injury, questionable wide receiver Kaderil Hodge with an ankle, and for the first time in the history of this show or the NFL, questionable the Joker Cordero Patterson with a thigh. And this is one for one straight out of the, what, Cordero Stewart is a slash playbook. Like, this is hilarious to me that this is what he is listed as. You know what? I get it. He's talented. He's athletic. Tavon Austin was doing it. He's doing it too. You know what? Sure. He's the Joker. Why not? Why not? Um... As I said, the, the wide receiver injuries give me a little bit of cause to pause for the Panthers, and I was a Falcons believer late in the season last year. I'm actually going to flip my pick. I'm going to flip my pick, and I'll put an asterisk on it. The injuries to the wide receiving core, I was going to lean towards Bryce Young. I was going to say the, get the high draft pick is win early, get it out of the way. I'm going to go with Desmond Ritter and the Falcons, and let's see if they can be as decent as they were last year. They weren't world beaters. They were okay. And you know what? Sometimes that's enough. Falcons, 1-0 at home. Next, the Arizona Cardinals, led by Joshua Dobbs, head to Washington to take on the Commanders, led by Sam Howell, who I'm pretty high on, as I've said. Cardinals going to be without O-lineman Kelvin Beecham with a hand injury. Questionable wide receiver Hollywood Brown with a hammy and tight end Zach Ertz with a knee. In case you were picking the Cardinals in this game, that should diminish your chances of picking them even more. Commanders, two listed as questionable, both on the D-line. James Smith-Williams with an oblique, and the often nicked-up Chase Young with a stinger already this early in the season. Um, I'll say this, the Commanders aren't a tremendous squad, but the Cardinals are, are bad. So, if you want to pick the upset and be that guy, you can make some money off it, but I'm not. Give me the Commanders to win this one under their new ownership, the debut at home. Next, we head to the AFC South, where the division defending champion Jaguars head to Lucas Oil to take on the Indianapolis Colts, led by Anthony Richardson. Jaguars can be without two defensive players in this one, safety Antonio Johnson with a hammy and D-lineman Tyler Lacey with a hip. Questionable for the Colts, running back Zach Moss with a forearm injury. Also, they will not have Jonathan Taylor. Reminder, contract shenanigans, and he is on the pup list. He will not play. The Jaguars should win this game. If Anthony Richardson has one of those, we've seen highlights of him from Florida. We know he's got crazy athleticism. He can make some cool plays. If he goes crazy, who knows? Maybe they could do it, but going to have to lean with the Jags in this one. think they're going to be a darn good AFC team this year. And if Kelsey's injury is a little bit more serious than Kansas City leads on, who knows? Maybe they move up them rankings. As I said before, in the division winners. Speaking of division winners, the second place finisher in the NFC is our next one. The San Francisco 49ers head to Pittsburgh 
to take on the Steelers in a battle of storied franchises. 49ers listing two is questionable, one on the defensive side, one on the offensive side. The corner, Charvarius Ward, with the heel injuries on the defense, and tight end George Kittle with a groin injury. Again, often nicked up, as I said about Chase Young. Steelers, just one. D-tackle Larry Ogunjobi, another tremendous name. It's a shame the great named players always wind up on the injury report. I mean, it gives me a chance to shout him out and say the name, but at the same time, you got to get him out there so everybody can get a little bit of the fun of saying Ogunjobi. Questionable with a foot injury. I've said before, I'm a little skeptical of the Brock Purdy era. However, and I am kind of a Kenny Pickett fan. So this could be, this is another one that could wind up being like a 30 to 27 game if things get crazy. But 49ers are still super talented. I'm going to have to go San Francisco. Sorry, Pittsburgh fan. San Francisco stealing this one on the road. Next, the Tennessee Titans head to New Orleans to take on the Saints in our final 1 o'clock kick from the now Caesars Superdome. Keep your branding in mind when you're trying to talk about this stadium. Um, Titans going to be without corner Trey Avery with a hammy. Questionable, outside linebacker Harold Landry with an abdominal injury and O-lineman Dylan Raduns with a knee. Saints can be without wide receiver Traquan Smith with a groin, who's pretty good. That's going to be a decent piece to be missing. Safety JT Gray with a shoulder, and questionable running back Kendra Miller with a hammy. I'm big on the Saints this year. I'm not so big on the Titans, especially after the way things played out last year with the Jaguars lapping them in that division. Give me the Saints to start making that surprise push. Sexy pick of the year for me. Give me the Saints. Let's move into the 425 time slot and into the AFC West. The Vegas Raiders head to Denver to take on the Denver Broncos, led by Sean Payton in his home debut. Raiders going to be without two defensive players, Chandler Jones, as we mentioned before, some things going on off the field, uh, as well as corner Brandon Faison with a shin injury. Questionable wide receiver DeAndre Carter. Broncos listing two is questionable, one on the offense, one on the defense. Wide receiver Jerry Judy, speaking of off-injured or nicked up, with a hammy and corner Riley Moss with an abdominal injury. That's Riley Moss, not Randy Moss. Um, This is an interesting one, because I thought the Raiders were better than their record last year for the bulk of the season. I think quite frequently I baited myself into picking them, if memory serves. And I don't know if Garoppolo is an upgrade over Derek Carr. In fact, I'll be blunt with you, I don't think it is. He will not lose you as many games as Derek Carr may take a chance to, but I don't think he's going to win you more games. I still think Oakland, granted, minus Chandler Jones is a big one. Oh, I said Oakland. The Vegas Raiders, that is, should be better than Denver. However, I'm going to default to Sean Payton here. You know what? Let me see what you got, coach. He's already talking about how Russell Wilson doesn't need to be out there kissing babies and yada, yada, yada. I don't know what the hell that means, but if it's going to get the job done for the Denver Broncos, sure, Russ, put on a leather jacket and grab a pack of Marlboros and don't kiss anybody. You do what you want to do. Bronco fans just want you to play like Russ. They want to let Russ cook again. Give me the Broncos. Why not? Next, we've got a Super Bowl matchup times two. The Philadelphia Eagles head to New England to take on the Patriots. Eagles, injury report is pretty short, none applicable. Patriots, on the other hand, listing corner Jack Jones out with a hammy. Questionable, 
Backup quarterback Matt Corral, not injury-related. Running back Ramondre Stevenson with an illness. Wide receiver Devontae Parker with a knee. And two O-linemen Mike Onwenu and Cole Strange with an ankle and knee injury, respectively. I'm taking Philly in this game. It, we don't need to talk about it. It's their, if not the best team in the NFC, the second best team in the NFC. Arguably one of the best teams in the NFL, if not the best team in the NFL. Give me Philly to win this one on the road. Next, we head to the West Coast, where the NFC West matchup between the LA Rams and the Seattle Seahawks takes place. Also at 425, obviously. Rams going to be without their backup QB, former Georgia Bulldog, Stetson Bennett with a right shoulder injury. Cooper Cup going to miss this one with a hammy. We were just talking a few weeks ago about how they're saying, oh, he's looking pretty good. He's looking pretty good. Boom, setback, might go on the pup list. This is rough. Pup or IR, who knows? Also listed as out, by the way, tight end Hunter Long with a thigh. The cup thing is rough because I talked about how this team could kind of sneak up, you know, and surprise, and who knows, and let's see what happens. Well, that's not going to happen because if cups hurt, they're not going to be as good as they were a few years ago. It's just, he ran the offense. Seattle going to be without former Jet safety Jamal Adams with a knee injury, as well as running back Kenny McIntosh with a knee slash hammy. Questionable offensive lineman Damian Lewis with a shoulder and corner Devon Witherspoon with a hammy. I was going to pick this as an interesting game, maybe go out on a limb with the Rams. Maybe they shock me. I don't think they will without Cooper Cup. Give me Seattle to win this one at home. Next, we've got another spicy matchup as the Miami Dolphins head to L.A. to take on the Super Chargers in a 425 kick from SoFi Stadium. Dolphins, going to be without offensive lineman Teron Armstead. Huge one. He's listed as out with a back, ankle, knee injury. Not back of the ankle or knee, the back itself. DB Elijah Campbell is going to miss this one with a knee as well. Questionable, two more knee injuries. Corner Justin Bethel and tight end Julian Hill. The Chargers, doubtful linebacker Diane Henley with a hammy. And outside linebacker Chris Rumpf with a hammy as well. I'm big on Miami this year. I'm a Miami believer, especially fingers crossed, fingers and toes, if we're being honest, for the long-term health of Tua Tungavailoa, because I hope and think he will be healthy, and hopefully, I mean, a concussion's a fickle thing. It can come at any time. It's a bad fall. It's crashing into somebody when you're doing this, that, and the third. Without Teron Armstead out there, though, I'm going to have to flip my pick from the Dolphins to the Chargers. I think that's going to be a big one missing, and I think this Chargers team if you're a Charger fan, you got to take the leap eventually, right? If you're, you know, Justin Herbert's building and building and building, and he's getting paid. Keenan Allen's still there. He's getting older. Mike Williams is still there. This team is good. Let's take the leap. Maybe this is the year. Give me the Chargers to start this year 1-0. From a spicy matchup to, well, an old-school matchup, as the Green Bay Packers head to Soldier Field to take on the Bears in our final 425 kick. Packers going to be without wide receiver Christian Watson with a hamstring injury and questionable the bane of my existence. Wide receiver Romeo Dobbs with a hammy as we debate endlessly whether it should be Dobbs or Dubes. We're going to go with Dobbs. We're going to keep it that way. I've heard it that way. Correct me if I'm wrong as I always say. For the Bears, just one questionable linebacker Dylan Cole with a hammy injury as well. This is kind of a spicy game because Aaron Rodgers is playing in prime time on Monday night against the Buffalo Bills. 
And I would say it's not going to be a resounding success or failure no matter what happens in that game. Now, if he throws four interceptions and, and you know, hurts himself, yeah, it'd be a resounding failure. But all things considered, they go out there, they look decent, even if they lose by seven or ten or whatever. Jets fans are still excited they have Aaron Rodgers. Packer fans, on the other hand, and they are very loyal, much more loyal than most fan bases, I would argue. Um, well, then again, their team's usually pretty good. It's easy to be loyal that way. Bears fans probably have a bone to pick with that one. They're, they're filling the stadium, too. Either way, back to the matter at hand. If you're a Packer fan, you want to see something from Jordan Love as early as possible. Even if it's a flash, it could be one good throw, one good deep ball, or a play where he, he shirks off the pass rusher, right? shrugs him off, and dives forward for a first down in the third quarter of a game that they're down by six. They just need as many flashes as they can to convince them to not, you know, draft a quarterback when push comes to shove next season. That being said, I've seen much more out of Justin Fields, obviously. I want to see what Justin Fields can do with the additions they've made in the passing game. I like Cole Komet. I like Claypool, though he's very hit or miss. They bring in DJ Moore. You know what? Let's see what they can do. Give me the Bears. Like I said, this division's open. If the Bears can pass this year, last year Fields was running all over the place, chicken without a head. If he can use that big arm and actually move the ball and matriculate it down the field this year, if the O-line can help him out a little bit and he takes steps forward, wouldn't shock me. Anything's possible. Look, it doesn't just have to be everyone taking steps forward. There will be teams that take steps back. There will be injuries that happen. Bears fan, let's see what happens. Give me the Bears. 1-0 by beating their heated rival. Sunday night football, I'm not sure if you're aware, it's almost always to start the season in an NFC East game. NBC Prime time, the Dallas Cowboys head to New Jersey to take on the New York football Giants. Doubtful for the Cowboys in this one, offensive lineman Tyler Smith with a hammy and safety Donovan Wilson with a calf. Questionable, offensive lineman Tyron Smith with an ankle and D-lineman Sam Williams excuse me, with a foot. Giants have a couple more players listed, doubtful. Two DBs, Cordell Flott and Javarius Owens with hamstring injuries, as well as second-year wide receiver Wandale Robinson with a knee, who's starting his second year like he spent quite a bit of his first year. Nicked up. Questionable, linebacker Cam Brown with an ankle, D-lineman DJ Davidson with a knee, and their big fancy acquisition in the offseason, tight end Darren Waller, already questionable with a hamstring injury. I think a lot of criticism was heaped on the back of Dak Prescott because he's the Dallas Cowboys QB, because they paid him so much money, because especially now with Zeke Elliott gone, it's going to be him. It's his team. Go make the plays. And he threw some untimely interceptions, let's say. Not to say that his predecessor, Tony Romo, didn't do the same. Um, although there, this is also the weird things. Remember the 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 play where they just ran the ball at the tail end of that playoff game and it made no sense. Remember that? What is going on? All right, well, Cowboy fam, try and black that out of your memory. However, the New York football giants on the other side are on the way up, and I'm of the opinion I don't know if the Dallas Cowboys are as well. Now, the Giants have been losing two division rivals consistently for quite some time now. They lose to Philly. They lose to Dallas fairly often. They can beat Washington here and there. So it wouldn't shock me if Dak went for about four touchdowns, 
a deep bomb to Brandon Cooks after I talked about him not being better than DeAndre Hopkins earlier. Um, yeah, that wouldn't shock me in the slightest. Also, Tony Pollard, who is supposedly healthy, fully recovered from the injury he sustained at the end of last year. Great player. And he always looks great against the New York Giants, especially. Um, this game could be relatively high scoring. I could see Daniel Jones with a little bit of a re- classic regression Daniel Jones games where he throws the ball to Trayvon Diggs once or twice, strip sack by Micah Parsons. The more I talk about this game, the more I think I should pick the Dallas Cowboys. I'm just going to pull out my New York driver's license and tell you I'm picking the Giants because I think the Giants are going to be better this year. I'm going to try and forget the fact that Darren Waller is going to somehow miss this game in week one. Um, oh boy. Um, they're in for one. Give me the Giants to win this one. Set the tone for their year at home. Speaking of big games in New Jersey, no injury report for this one as it's too far away. The Buffalo Bills heading to take on the Aaron Rodgers-led Jets. The new pilot, if you will, of the Jets franchise. Bringing in Dalvin Cook as well. Bringing in pieces left and right. The Buffalo Bills, led by the Madden NFL, what are we on, 24? Coverboy. Curse be damned. Former Coverboy Mahomes, he's doing just fine. Tom Brady, he's doing just fine. Who will bring home this first matchup of the year between potentially two AFC heavyweights, definitely two AFC East contenders? Well, I'm leaning towards Buffalo because I've seen it. At the end of the day, early season, I can go off of what have I seen and what have I not seen? Well, you're asking me to pick the Jets when I honestly didn't think they were super great last year. I know a lot of people said, oh, look look at the Jets go, and they were sneaking into the playoffs and stuff like that, potentially. Um, I wasn't a super big believer, right? Um, And I'm, I'm really kind of not a big believer now either. So, that's not to say that they're bad. They're not a bad team. I think they might be a playoff team, right? Are they better than Miami? That's the debate I've been having in my head for weeks. Would it shock me if the Jets won this game? Not really, but a little bit. Because I think it's going to take some time for Rodgers to build that rapport with Garrett Wilson and some of the receivers they have. I also don't know if their receiving core is necessarily tremendous. Rodgers, obviously, it was known or at least implied that he wasn't happy with the receiving core they had in Green Bay. And the first thing he does when he goes to the Jets is bring over a couple of the guys from Green Bay, like Alan Lazard. Um, Don't get me wrong, Alan Lazard was probably their best receiver in Green Bay, if we're being completely honest. But was the bar that high? 100 catches in the last two years, a little over 1,300 yards. Um, meh. Uh, will the Jets be good enough? This is this is a plant the flag and show everybody what you've got. This is It's not off-season hype. It's not just hard knocks. We are good enough to beat the Buffalo Bills. We are good enough to win the AFC. And we are showing you right now. Kansas City lost this week. Oh, yeah? We're going to go out there and beat Buffalo. And then later in the year, we're going to show you even more. And you know what? I don't think that's going to happen. So give me Buffalo. And look, I I know Josh Allen, is uh, his decision-making can be questionable at times. I think that is accurate. But I think he's got the talent still in Buffalo. And Von Miller is not going to play in this game. But this year, he's going to hopefully, if you're a Bills fan, be around for longer than he was last year. Pup list to start the year. He says he's ready to go. The GM saying, hold off, hold off, hold off. We need you for the playoff push, big dog. I think it would have been interesting to see him in this game 
particularly, considering Rodgers in their division obviously would be the biggest threat at the quarterback position. No hate on Tua, but I mean, multiple-time MVP. Tua Tungavailoa is still early in his career. Either way, give me the Bills, but I'll... I could see it. I said I wouldn't be shocked, and I said I'd be a little shocked. You know, I'm on the fence here. The more I talk about it, it's like the Giants game. With New York teams as a New Yorker, the more I talk about it, I can talk myself into anything. Um, Give me Buffalo to win this one on the road. And then, you don't get off that easy, we've got one more game. The Minnesota Vikings head to Philly for our Week 2 Thursday night football matchup. No injury reports, obviously, as it's too early. This could be a fun one. This really could be a fun one. Um, is it going to be high scoring? It, it, I can see it being that way, where Philly gets out ahead and then Minnesota's got to throw the ball all over the yard. And who knows what happens when Kirk in prime time? Uh, we don't pick Kirk in prime time. We've been failed by Kirk in prime time much too many times. Uh, I think if you look back, I don't remember the ex- exactly what I said, but during the wild card weekend episode last year, the preview for that, um, I think I discussed how. The Vikings were so good, but then it's Kirk Cousins in a big game, and I'm not picking that. So it's going to be that again. Week one hard to, excuse me, week two hard to be a big game, but it's primetime. Philly, best team in the NFC, arguably. Give me Philly to win this one at home. I will say this. This gave me the thought. Week one is reserved for the Super Bowl champion on primetime. I get it. I don't hate the idea that in week two you get the winner of the opposing conference, let's say, to be more positive than saying Super Bowl loser in primetime. However, I would say you could also do it where Thursday night football in week one is the defending champion, and then let's say one of the Monday night football games, by the way, not doing the the Monday doubleheader again this year. Um, Let's say one of the Monday night football games, if you do a doubleheader, goes to that other team, so they get a primetime slot as well. I don't know. Because as interesting as it is, and as fun as it is to see, you know, a matchup like Vikings-Eagles this early in the season, short rest for the team that just won the NFC is not exactly a celebration of your accomplishments, right? You're the If you're the Super Bowl champ, you start earlier than everyone, but then you have a big old break, right? By the way, the Chiefs get the Jaguars next week, so they need that break. That's going to be a big game, but Eagles, you wind up playing... Vikings, NFC contender, division winner on three days rest. You feel like you're getting jobbed a little bit. It's cool for ratings. It's cool for me, right? Cool for the fans, everybody out there. Hope you're excited for that game. Could be a good game. I don't know. Let me know what you guys think. Comment section, if where you're listening has one. Or social media, all social media, at Nick Donatic, N-I-K-D-O-N-A-D-I-C. That'll do it. For episode number 168 of the Necessary Roughness Podcast, presented by Last Word on Sports. Hope you all enjoyed the show. Hope you all are excited. We are less than 48 hours away from, if you're like me, and you are a Scott Hansen fanboy, an enjoyer of NFL Red Zone, we are right around the corner from seven hours of commercial-free football. Then you get the NBC game. You get the Monday night game. There's drama and trauma everywhere, right? It should be a fun weekend, football fans. We made it through the offseason. Hope you guys are excited. Hope you're excited for another year of shows. We are season seven. Who'd have thought we'd get this far? I certainly didn't. But if you know what? If you've been around for seven seasons, seven episodes, or seven minutes, because for some reason you skipped to the end of this one, thank you so much. 
Join us again next weekend um, for next episode, 169. Obviously, we'll break down all the action this weekend, and we'll break down all the action coming up in week two. I'm your host, Nicholas Donatic, signing off.